book two chapter four of strangers and pilgrims this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. recording by john brandon strangers and pilgrims by mary elizabeth braden book two chapter four the company is mixed the phrase i quote is as much as saying there below your notice for mixed company implies that save yourself and friends and half a hundred more whom you may bow to without looking grave the rest are but a vulgar set the bore of public places where they basely brave the fashionable stare of twenty score of well-bred persons call it the world but i although i know them really don't know why bitter with unutterable bitterness was the disappointment of aunt chevenix when at breakfast next morning she was made acquainted with the actual state of affairs lord paulyn had verily proposed and had been rejected to say that you are mad elizabeth is to say nothing exclaimed mrs chevenix casting herself back in her chair and regarding her niece with a stony gaze egg-spoon in hand you were that when you accepted mr ford but this is a besotted idiocy for which even your precious folly had not prepared me you surely did not think that i should jilt mr ford i surely did not think you would refuse lord paulyn echoed her aunt a girl of your tastes the very last of young women to marry a person in mr ford's position upon my word elizabeth it is too bad positively cruel after the pride i have felt in you the money i have spent upon you even though i am above alluding to that your conduct is a death-blow to all my hopes and here mrs chevenix wept real tears which she wiped despondently from her powdered cheeks pray don't cry auntie i'm something like a man in that respect i can't bear the sight of tears i am very sorry for having disappointed you but it would be hardly a fair thing to lord paulyn to marry him while my heart belongs entirely to some one else to say nothing of malcolm himself malcolm exclaimed mrs chevenix with profound disgust to think that i should have a niece my favourite niece too capable of marrying a man called malcolm i'm sorry you don't like his name auntie to my ear it is music yes like the scotch bagpipes i suppose said the elder lady in accents of withering scorn and now dearest auntie let there be no quarrelling between us pleaded elizabeth i dare say it is disappointing to you for me to settle down into a country clergyman's wife after all my grand talk about marrying well and riding through the world in my own baroque over people's bodies as it were like the lady in roman history i did not know my own heart when i talked like that i did not think that i should ever be weak enough to love anybody fifty times better than carriages and horses 
please let us be friends she went on coaxingly and kneeling down by the offended matron lord paulyn has forgiven me and he and i are to be excellent friends for the rest of our lives perhaps he will give malcolm a living i dare say he has three or four handsome benefices among his possessions friends indeed cried mrs chevenix contemptuously i'm sure i thought last night that it was all settled and even began to think of your trousseau i never in my life had such a disappointment little by little however the matron's indignation or the outward show of that passion abated and she permitted her wounded spirits to be soothed by elizabeth's caresses happily for the damsel the business of life that business of pleasure which sometimes involves more wear and tear of mind and body than the most serious pursuit of wealth or fame must needs go on once in the whirlpool of mrs cinqmars set and there was no escape for elizabeth and her chaperone all their other engagements were as nothing to that lady's demands upon their time and mrs chevenix for some unexplained reason had entered upon a close alliance with the mistress of the rancho i did not think mrs cinqmars was at all your style auntie elizabeth said wondering that this new-fledged friendship should be so strong upon the wing mrs cinqmars style may not be faultless but she is one of the best-natured little women i ever met and has the art of making her house most delightful replied mrs chevenix decisively i think we ought to take our brass bedsteads out to fulham and camp under the trees now the warm weather has set in we almost live there as it is said elizabeth there was some foundation for this remark in the fact that mrs chevenix and her niece were oftener at the rancho than anywhere else mrs cinqmars devoted all the forces of her being to the pursuit of pleasure and as these gaieties and hospitalities assisted mr cinqmars not a little in the pursuit of gain the lady was allowed the free exercise of her talents in the art of making people forget that life was meant for anything graver or loftier than a perpetual talking of small talk and quaffing of iced cups in the summer sunshine now under the striped awning of a barge lighting up the sunlit river and non in the cool shades of some primeval forest like windsor or burnham beaches if the destiny of mankind began and ended in picnics water parties kettle drums and private theatricals mrs cinqmars would have been among the leaders of the world but unfortunately for the lady those delights are fleeting as the bubbles on the river and however wide their circle spreads make but brief impressions and are forgotten after a season or two mr and mrs cinqmars might have commemorated themselves in a pyramid as high as pharaohs built out of empty champagne bottles but so ungrateful are the butterfly race they fed that almost the only record of their hospitality at the end of the season was a yard full of empty bottles and the cases which an odd man chopped up for firewood while the season lasted however mrs cinqmars drank freely of pleasure's sparkling cup and found no bitterness even in the lees thereof she rarely left a blank day in her programme every week brought its water-party or its picnic every morning found her breakfast tray she did not leave her room till the business of the day began piled high with notes of acceptance or refusal in answer to her coquettish little notes of invitation 
she was not a person who sent meaningless cards requesting but wrote dainty little letters on monogram emblazoned paper full of familiar nothings breathing the warmest friendship the season is so short she used to say pensively one cannot do too much while the fine weather lasts after that day at epsom mrs cinqmars made no party to which she did not invite her dearest miss luttrell she was eager for the society of her dearest mrs chevenix at all her dinners and afternoons but there were picnics and water-parties which might be too fatiguing for that dearest friend on which occasions she begged to be entrusted with the care of her sweet miss luttrell a privilege the matron was not slow to accord dinners and dances in tyburnia were declined with ruthlessness in favour of mrs cinqmars ay even a dinner in eaton square at the abode of a millionaire baronet in the iron trade upon my word auntie i don't care about going so much to mrs cinqmars elizabeth remonstrated i certainly do enjoy myself more at her parties than anywhere else but i hardly think malcolm would like me to spend so much time in that kind of society you had better send a statement of all your engagements to mr ford and allow him to direct your movements replied mrs chevenix and mingled feelings the fear of ridicule and her own inclination which drew her strongly towards henley and virginia water kept elizabeth silent mr ford's remonstrances about the length of her visit had abated of late for the curate had been summoned to scotland to attend the sick-bed of one of his few remaining kindred his father's only brother an old man to whom he was warmly attached his letters came now from the north and were only brief records of sufferings from which there seemed no hope of other relief than death he had no time to write at length to his betrothed and no spirits for letter-writing i don't want to sadden you dearest he wrote and therefore make my letters of the briefest for my mind is full of our patient and the great fortitude with which he endures this protracted trial too full even for those happy thoughts of the future which have brightened my life of late but i do look forward to our meeting lizzie whatever sorrow may lie between this hour and that and i hope to hear speedily of your return to the west do you know if this uncle is likely to leave him any money mrs chevenix inquired with a languid interest when she was informed of mr ford's movements a few hundreds a year could make little difference in that poverty-stricken career which elizabeth had chosen for herself it would be but a grain of sand when weighed against a viscount's coronet and a half a dozen estates i believe malcolm will be richer auntie there is a small estate in scotland that must come to him a small estate in scotland where land rents at ten shillings an acre i suppose or perhaps it is all waste mere sand and heather but what does it matter you have chosen to go through life a pauper it is only a question of a crust of bread more or less there was hardly a necessity for elizabeth to hurry back to hawley to the untimely cutting off of all these summer delights when mr ford was away she thought how dreary the place would seem without him gertrude diana blanche 
with their stock phrases and their perennial commonplaces and their insignificant scraps of gossip about the holly gentry the dull old high street the shop windows she had looked at so often till she knew every item of the merchandise she thought of going over all the old ground again with a shudder life in a convent would be gayer she thought the nuns could not all be gertrude's and diana's so she wrote a dutiful letter to her betrothed full of sympathy with his sorrow and informing him that she was beginning to grow a little tired of london and would go back to the west directly she heard of his return don't ask me to go any sooner malcolm she said the place would seem horrible to me without you i want your face to be the first to welcome me home i think sometimes of the days when we shall have our own home and i shall stand at the gate watching for you the derby day was a thing of the remote past and henley regatta was over before elizabeth received notice of mr ford's return she had seen lord paulyn almost daily during the interval and his friendship had never wavered he was still her devoted slave still patient under her scornful speeches still eager to gratify her smallest caprice still a kind of barrier between her and all other worship serene in the consciousness of having done her duty of having with a fortitude unknown to the common order of womanhood rejected all the advantages of wealth and rank she saw no peril to herself or her admirer in that frivolous kind of intimacy which she permitted to him it was an understood thing that she was to be another man's wife that the end of the season was to be her everlasting farewell to worldly pleasures lord paulyn appeared to accept his position with gentlemanly-like resignation he would even speak of his happy arrival sometimes with but little bitterness with a good-humoured contempt as of an inferior order of being elizabeth thought he was cured henley regatta and the longest day were over but the summer was yet in its prime the nights knew not darkness only a starry twilight betwixt sundown and sunrise how tired the sun must be by the end of the season said elizabeth keeping such late hours and always glaring down upon races and regattas and flower shows and garden parties don't pity him he's such a lazy beggar and so fond of skulking behind the clouds on rainy days answered lord paulyn i wish we could shuffle out of our engagements as easily as he shirks his mrs cinqmars who was never happy without some grand event in preparation had hardly given herself time to breathe after her water-party at henley a luncheon for five-and-twenty people on board a gilded barge towed up the river from maidenhead when she was up to her eyes in the arrangement of private theatricals for the tenth of july a festivity which was to mark the close of her hospitalities we start for hamburg on the tenth she said with a sigh and as i've been going up like a rocket all the season i don't want to come down like a stick at the last so you see our theatricals must be a success lord paulyn it's not to be a common drawing-room business you know but a regular affair for the benefit of the asylum for the widows of indigent stockbrokers tickets a guinea each 
a few reserved fauteuils at two guineas do you mean to say you're going to let a herd of strangers into your house inquired the viscount with amazement why you'll have the swell mob after your plate the tickets will only be disposed of by our friends you obtuse creature said mrs cinqmars but it is not half so much fun acting before a lot of people you see every day as doing it in real earnest for a benevolent purpose i shall expect you to sell something like fifty pounds worth of tickets and to bring all the heavy swells you can scrape together i want the affair to be really brilliant but this is not the point we have to discuss to-day before we can print our programmes or stir a step in the business we must definitely settle our pieces and cast them this speech was uttered in a friendly little gathering beneath the umbrage of perfumed limes the river flashing in the foreground a few of mrs cinqmars dearest friends of both sexes the viscount major bolding a young man in the war office with a tenor voice and light hair parted in the middle the young lady with raven ringlets a fair and dumpy young person whose husband was in america and elizabeth luttrell seated in friendly conclave round a rustic table provided with pens ink and paper for it is quite impossible to achieve an arrangement of this kind without an immense waste of penmanship and letter paper there was the usual confusion of tongues everybody thinking he or she knew more about private theatricals than any one else major bolding because the fellows in his regiment had once got up something at aldershot the dumpy young person because she had acted charades with her sisters in the nursery when she was a mite the tenor in the war office because his father had known charles matthews the elder the contralto because she had gone to school with the niece of mrs charles keynes only elizabeth acknowledged her ignorance i know nothing about plays she said except that i dote upon them whatever play we choose lizzie i mean you to be in it said mrs cinqmars and elizabeth did not protest against the arrangement she was enraptured at the thought of acting in a play of living for one brief night the dazzling life of that fairy stage world which was so new to her about a hundred plays were suggested briefly discussed and rejected mrs cinqmars seemed to know every dramatic work that had been written everyone except elizabeth and mr cinqmars had his or her one idea by which he or she stuck resolutely lord paulyn voted for box and cox and could not be persuaded to extend his ideas beyond that masterpiece the tenor proposed to oblige benson because he knew some people who had acted it last christmas down in hertfordshire and i'm told it went off remarkably well you know he said and people laughed a good deal except one old gentleman in the front row who went to sleep and snored you stupid people called mrs cinqmars don't go on harping upon one string those are mere insignificant farces and i want a grand piece that will play two hours and a half after this came a string of suggestions all alike useless i only wish our men were a little better said mrs cinqmars with a despondent survey of her forces there is a piece which i should like above all others but it wants good acting 
there are not too many people in it and no troublesome scenery i mean masks and faces every one knew masks and faces every one admired the play but the gentlemen were doubtful as to their capacity for the characters i'll play nothing but box said lord paulyn i think i could do that i don't mind what i do as long as it's something to make the people laugh said major bolding then you'd better try tragedy suggested mr hartley the tenor they're playing the piece at the adelphi lizzie said mrs st mars intent upon her own deliberations and ignoring trivial interruptions we'll all go to see it this evening you shall play peg woofington major bolding will do pretty well for vane oh yes you must do it i'll coach you st mars and mr hartley can play triplet and collie sibber you flory to the dumpy young person will make a capital kitty clive and you lord paulyn must play sir charles pomander the villain i can get a couple of newspaper men for snarl and soper the two critics no remonstrances i know you are all sticks but we know what great things can be done by a couple of sticks you'll all learn your words perfectly without an hour's delay never mind the acting we'll arrange that at rehearsal the words and the dresses are the two great points you must all look as if you had walked out of a picture by ward or frith you'll call at the adelphi this afternoon major and engage half a dozen stalls for the rest of the week and mind i shall expect to see them occupied every night before the curtain goes up after this came a great deal of discussion major bolding declared his incapacity for sentimental comedy lord paulyn insisted that he could soar no higher than box i don't think i should break down in that business with this mutton-chop and rasher and if i had plaid trousers with big checks and a red wig i think i might make them laugh a little he said but my attempting a stage villain is too absurd why i should have to scowl shouldn't i and cork my eyebrows and drag one foot behind the other when i walked nothing of the kind sir charles is a light comedy villain only a slight modification of your own haw-haw style you have only to see the piece acted half a dozen times or so you shall have a wig and costume that will almost play the part for you lord paulyn groaned aloud sit in a stiflin hot theatre six nights runnin to see the same fellers in the same play he remonstrated only a small sacrifice to dramatic art and the indigent stockbrokers widows said mrs Sinkmar soothingly she was a determined little woman and once having taken up the business carried it through with unflagging energy the programmes were printed forthwith on lace-bordered paper of palest rose colour perfumed to distraction by the art of rimmel drawing-room performance at the rancho fulham the riverside villa of h du c de Sinkmar's esquire for the benefit of the widows of indigent stockbrokers members of the house alone eligible masks and faces a comedy by charles reed and tom taylor sir charles pomander lord paulyn mr vane major bolding collie sibber mr hartley triplet mr du chatelaine de cinquemars james quinn mr beaumont snarl mr slasher soper 
mr slater critics mrs vane mrs du chatelet de st mars kate clive mrs desborough peg woofington miss elizabeth luttrell tickets to be obtained only from the committee one guinea a limited number of reserved fauteuils at two guineas performance to commence at nine precisely carriages may be ordered for half-past eleven for five consecutive nights did mrs st mars and her devoted slaves occupy the stalls of the adelphi gazing upon and listening to the performance of mrs sterling mr benjamin webster and other accomplished masters of the dramatic art the blood in the veins of the gallant major ran cold as the fast congealing water drops of an alpine stream among the frozen mountain tops when he watched the movements and listened to the words of mr vane and considered that he after his feeble fashion must needs reflect the image of that skilful actor who sustained the part but by diligent perusal of the comedy in the solitude of their own apartments and by force of seeing the play five times running and being urged to attention and interest by the energetic little stage manageress who sat between them the major on the one side and the viscount on the other did ultimately arrive at some idea of what they were expected to do and when the first rehearsal took place at the rancho after the completion of these nightly studies mrs Sinkmars pronounced herself very well satisfied with her company she had beaten up recruits here and there in the meantime and had filled her program the tickets had been selling furiously almost every one had heard of the rancho and aspiring middle-class people who did not know mrs Sinkmars were glad of this opportunity of placing themselves upon a level with people who did there was no rush of those lofty personages whom mrs Sinkmar had spoken of as heavy swells a good deal of solicitation would have been needed to bring these to share the free and easy hospitalities of the riverside villa but society on the lower ranges parted freely with their guineas for gilt-edged tickets of delicate rose-coloured pasteboard entitling them to behold the mysteries of that notorious abode lord paulin hard pressed by the energetic flora did contrive to enlist the sympathies of various horsey noblemen in the cause of the stockbroker's widows men who were curious in their own words to see how big a fool paulin would make of himself but stately dowagers or patrician beauties he could gather none major bolding however beat up the quarters of wealthy merchants and shipowners and secured a handsome attendance of diamonds and millinery for the limited number of fauteuils and although the aspiring soul of mrs Sinkmars languished for a more aristocratic assembly she was tolerably contented with the idea of a gathering which would fill her spacious room and in outward show would equal the best if one has not what one loves one must love what one has said the little woman flinging back her flowing raven locks with a sigh of resignation we've sold all the tickets and that's a grand point and we shall have at least a hundred pounds for the widows odious snuffy old creatures i dare say and not worth half the trouble we're taking for them a thousand thanks major for your exertions in tyburnia and to you lord paulin for your labours at tattersall's i really think we should make a success miss luttrell is a magnificent woofington egad 
she'd be magnificent in anything said the viscount rapturously i always think if there ever was such a person as helen she must have been like elizabeth luttrell she's such an out-and-out beauty don't you know in homer when she came out on the ramparts where the old men were sitting though i dare say they'd have been abusing her like old boots before she showed up the moment they saw her they knocked under and thought a ten years war was hardly too much to have paid for the privilege of looking at her elizabeth is just that kind of woman it's no matter how she carries on a man must adore her i say ditto to mr burke said the major it's a pity she should marry a country parson isn't it asked mrs cinqmars who had been made acquainted with elizabeth's engagement by the damsel herself in a moment of confidence fifty to one against that marriage ever coming off said the major a pretty girl always begins with a detrimental just to get her hand in i dare say those gunning sisters in king george's time were engaged to some needy beggars before they came up to london and took the town by storm i can't fancy miss luttrell settling down to the goody-goody kind of life with a sanctimonious fellow in a white choker no by jove cried lord paulyn i can fancy anything sooner than that but she's just the sort of girl to do anything however preposterous if she once sets her mind upon it this was a fragment of confidential talk in mrs cinqmars boudoir which at this period was littered with court swords three-cornered hats flowing periwigs and other such paraphernalia the important night came at last in an interval of tropical weather her thermometer at eighty-six in the shade all the greensward in the parks burnt to a dismal tawny hue arid as a simoon blasted desert heavy insupportable weather at which anglo-indians and other travellers in distant climes from china to peru grumbled sorely declaring that they had encountered nothing so oppressive as this sultry english heat in bengal or japan or lima or honolulu as the case might be a damp penetrating heat as of a gigantic hothouse london and her wide-spreading suburbs were wrapped in a dim shroud of summer mist pale and impalpable as the ghost of some dead-and-gone november fog and all the denizens of the vast city seemed visibly dissolving as in a turkish bath threatening weather with the perpetual menace of a thunderstorm impending in the leaden sky it would be rather too bad if the storm were to come to-night said mrs cinqmars as she leaned against the embrasure of an open window languidly after the last rehearsal which had been prolonged to within a couple of hours of the performance but i shouldn't at all wonder if it did hark at those horrible little birds twittering as if they were saying oh yes it will come soon it can't keep off much longer i feel it coming and how the laurel leaves shiver we've sold the tickets said the major philosophically the indigent widows will be none the worse off if it rains bucketfuls all the evening do you think that will reconcile me to our play being a failure cried the lady indignantly as if those snuffy old things were the first consideration 
but you do do it for their sakes you know for their sakes do you suppose i pay madame noor unheard of prices for my dresses for their sakes i shall die of vexation if we've any empty benches we'd better send a whip round to the clubs said major balding i don't want a herd of men exclaimed the aggrieved manageress i want a brilliant-looking audience those manchester and liverpool women with their emeralds and diamonds however we'd better disperse at once and begin to think of dressing two hours is not too much for putting on pompadour costumes lizzie you and i will have some tea and cold chicken in my room if we can manage to eat and as for you gentlemen there will be dinner in half an hour in mr sinkmar's study all the other rooms are confiscated to the interests of the widows are the widows to see us act inquired mr hartley they ought i think in order to appreciate the effort we are making for them at its just value it would be rather a clever move by the way a row of old women in black bonnets mrs sinkmars could point to them when she speaks her little epilogue behold kind friends the recipients of your bounty it will be quite enough to speak of them and now gentlemen if you really mean to be dressed by nine o'clock you better go to your rooms to chatelet be sure you come to me at a quarter to nine to go over your scenes for the very last time du chatelet groaned he was the triplet of the piece and had sorely toiled in his laudable desire to reproduce the looks and tones of mr webster he had even sacrificed a handsome black moustache which he felt to be a costly offering on the shrine of art it was nine o'clock and the storm was still impending still spreading its dark curtain between earth and the stars but it had not come and carriage after carriage the chariots of tibernia and ecclesionia rolled round the gravel sweep before the broad portico of the rancho the foyer filled rapidly with a pleasant rustling of silks and satins a fluttering of plumes and flashing of jewels until the half-dozen rows of luxurious seats became a very flower-garden the brilliant colours of the more costly sex only agreeably toned by the puritan garb of man the billiard-room had been fitted up as an auditorium and by a skilful removal of the vast window which filled one end of the room and opened on the garden the apartment had been extended into a temporary shed beyond this shed with gently sloping floor and sunk footlights was the stage the frame of the window wreathed with flowering creepers which seemed to have grown up after the fashion of the famous beanstalk formed the proscenium the brilliant light in the auditorium sank gently to a semi-darkness as the band hidden in a little off-room attacked the overture to massignello people had just time enough to look about them before the lights went down the women surveying one another's dresses the men looking about for people they knew mrs sinkmars beheld her audience through a hole in the curtain which major bolding had made with his penknife for her convenience and was satisfied they look very well don't they she asked you'd hardly think they were not the real thing not hallmarked only electroplated mrs chevenix occupied one of the fauteuils in a cool and somewhat juvenile costume of pale grey silk and aerophane with pink ribbons 
and a blonde marie stuart cap surmounted with pink marabouts pink marabouts edging her fan pink swansdown on her gloves her own dress was new and had cost money but the cost thereof was of nothing compared with the expense of elizabeth's satin train and point-laced flounced petticoat and the powdered wig which was to make her look like madame de pompadour in beauchere's famous picture yet all this expenditure had the devoted aunt borne without grumbling or only an occasional faint and plaintive sigh if there were sufficient recompense for this outlay in elizabeth's triumph mrs chevenix received such recompense without stint from the first moment to the last of that performance the girl was triumphant resplendent with beauty and genius giving her whole heart and soul to the magic of the stage living breathing thinking as peg woofington the mediocrity of her fellow actors mattered nothing to her they spoke the words they had to speak so that no hitch arose in the stage business and that was all she needed to sustain the illusion of the scene there was passion enough and force enough in her own soul to have animated a theatre there was an electricity as subtle as the electricity in the overcharged atmosphere a magnetic force which inspired and excited instead of depressing mrs cinqmars revelled in the sentimentalities of mabel vane rolled her large eyes and flung about her superb hair she would wear no wig to conceal that natural abundance to her heart's content and made a graceful little heroine of the lacrimose school but elizabeth was the very creature one could fancy margaret woofington in her prime the generous reckless audacious beauty proud of her power over the hearts of men brimming over with life and genius but with unfathomable depths of tenderness lurking beneath that brilliant surface tyburnia and ecclestonia and all the men about town who formed the staple of mr and mrs cinqmars set applauded with a unanimity that for once in a way came from the heart they felt that this was verily dramatic art hardly the less finished because it was the fruit of only a fortnight's study the actress had picked up the technicalities of her part during those studious nights in the theatre inspiration and a fresh and ardent love of art had done the rest and the impersonation was as perfect as any amateur performance could possibly be with all the added charm of freshness and sincerity which can hardly accompany the profound experience of professional training an actress who had trodden the beaten round of the drama more or less like a horse in a mill could surely never fling herself with such passionate feeling into one part as this girl to whom the magic of the stage was new mr cinqmars quavered and sniffed and snivelled in the character of triplet with an abject senility which would have been senile in a great-grandfather of ninety but copied the stage business with some dexterity and won his share of applause lord paulyn and major bolding were dressed superbly and managed to get through their work with credit to themselves and the stage manageress and as coffee and neapolitan ices were lavishly administered between the two acts without any toll being extracted thereupon for the widows the aristocracy of commerce in the two guinea photowills were inclined to think they had received fair value for their money 
as for the herd of young men who blocked the back of the auditorium where there was little more than standing-room they were simply in ecstasies the girls beauty and genius fired their souls they protested vehemently that she ought to go on the stage that she would take the town by storm and much more to the same effect forgetting that this flame which burned so brilliantly tonight might be only a meteoric light and that although a clever young woman with an ardent nature may for once in her life fling herself heart and soul into a stage play and by a kind of inspiration dispense with the comprehension and experience that can only come from professional training it is no reason she should be able to repeat her triumph and to go on repeating it ad libitum never again in elizabeth luttrell's existence was she able to live the delicious life of the stage to lose the sense of her personality in the playwright's creation to act and think and be glad and sorry with an imaginary creature the centre of an imaginary world among the crowd of white neckties and swallow-tailed coats at the end of the room there was one gentleman who stood near the door with his back against the wall a tall immovable figure and who seemed to know nobody he was taller by half a head than the majority of the men standing in the crowded space behind the last row of seats and he was able to survey the stage across the carefully parted hair of the gentleman in front of him this gentleman had a good deal to say about elizabeth luttrell to which the stranger listened intently with a somewhat moody countenance yes said this fopling to his friend in the interval between the second and third act the stranger had only entered the room towards the close of the second yes it is a great match for her of course only a country parson's daughter without a sixpence except anything she may get from her aunt mrs chevenix the widow of a man who was a bishop or a judge or something is it a settled thing asked the other of course it is why they go everywhere together i was introduced to her at the derby he drove her down in his drag with mrs cinqmars to play propriety on the obscurum facere per obscurius principle i suppose and you'll find him here continually dancing attendance upon miss luttrell and spooning to an extent that is humiliating to one's sense of manhood i didn't think that that was in paulin's line i thought he went in for race-horses and prize-yachts and that kind of thing yes there's the rub this is his first appearance in the character of a love-sick swain and like a patient who takes the measles late in life he exhibits the disease in its most aggravated form there's not much in him at the best of times said the other with the air of a man whose own intellectual gifts were of the highest order and who therefore surveyed mankind from an altitude do you think she likes him do i think she's in full possession of her senses <laughs> answered his friend laughing and that being so she would be likely to turn up her nose at such a position as he can give her there's hardly a richer man than paulin about town bar the marquis of westminster the love of money is an hereditary vice in his family and his ancestors have scraped and hoarded from generation to generation he's one of the few gentlemen who contrive to make money on the turf the bookmen hate him like poison 
he's a lamb they seldom have the privilege of skinning there isn't a deeper cart out and i can't say i envy that lovely girl the life she's likely to lead with him when she's his own property and he gets tired of spooning but for all that i don't believe there's a girl in london would have refused him pleasant intelligence this for the tall stranger whose name was malcolm ford end of book two chapter four recording by john brandon